Let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah 46. Tell you what, instead of turning there, because this 46 to 49 is very unique, it is a category all by itself in our study of Jeremiah. And I think a good way to start the study tonight would be by going to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Jeremiah has been preaching now nearly 30 years the same message. He began during the reign of the good king Josiah. And though there was a time of some reform, he was the last of the good kings. It was all downhill from there. The people fell into apostasy to the lowest of ranks where they were offering their children as offerings. They were worshiping Baal, total backslidden mode. So the Lord says, you've crossed the line, and I'm going to raise up Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, mentioned 164 times in the book of Jeremiah. And he will be the focus of God's instrument tonight, not so much on Judah and Jerusalem, because as we get to 46 through 49, uh, these chapters, including 51, will be nine nations. These are now the kingdoms that surround Judah. Uh, They are Gentile. And Judah is going to look for deliverance from these, primarily Egypt. I could title this message tonight, so you want to go back to Egypt. And they're actually going full circle. But they've crossed the line, and Jerusalem has already fallen. So one of the things that I want to remind you of is Jeremiah had one message. Judgment is imminent. You're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Nothing is going to change it. And the best thing that you can do is surrender. Uh, Don't fight against Nebuchadnezzar. Go to Babylon and live. Stay in uh, Judah and die. So that's sort of the background. And as now, as you look at these chapters tonight, it's past tense. Jerusalem has fallen. Everything that Jeremiah has told the people for his whole ministry has come to pass. Uh, He's proven a true prophet of God. The false prophets were saying, don't worry about a thing, everything's going to be fine, so on and so forth. Um, All that Nebuchadnezzar came and took some of the temple treasures. Um, uh, Jehoiachin, the king, he's going to be returned. None of that happened. And um, the third and final siege of Nebuchadnezzar burns the temple of Solomon and uh, takes many back to captivity. Now, If I was to liken our own time with Jeremiah's time, if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read that Jesus talked about signs, and that was the theme for our pastor's prophecy conference, was the times of the signs. And um, I'm just going to read the first three verses here. But brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or a word by letter. Paul had clearly laid it out, the chronology, order of events at First Thessalonians. He ends First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 5, which was the theme of our conference, but you, brethren, are not ignorant concerning the signs of the times, as some people are. And so he has to rewrite a second letter to the church of Thessalonica because somebody, either by a spirit or by word or by letter, 
had been telling them that they were actually in the tribulation. And uh, so Paul has to rewrite them, go through the order of events again, and um, as though the day of Christ had come, or the day of the Lord. Dave Hawking gave a great study on the day of the Lord and all that it entailed. And let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away come first. This uh, two possibilities. The word there is apostasy or falling away from sound biblical doctrine. Or it could literally be um, a taking away. Dr. Tommy Ice holds to that view here. He's got a good argument for it. That it could be the, the snatching away or the catching away of the church. And then a man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now if I would liken, let's go back to Jeremiah. If I would liken Jeremiah's ministry. Here he's been at it for 30 years. Everything he said has now come to pass. But you're stuck because you wouldn't listen uh, and you remained in Judah and now 46, 47, 48, 49, uh, 50 and 51 are gonna deal with nine nations that they actually think about going to for protection. So now 46, these are all Gentile nations. If I would sum it up, even though we're gonna read hopefully all of it, um, if I would sum it up, uh, he's basically saying you're thinking it's futile because if you think you're gonna go back to Egypt, and here's the irony of, of all that, of all places to go back to, the very place that they were delivered from. And there's all sorts of applications, and I could get sidetracked right here, right now, and do a study about looking back and going back to the world. The world and Egypt are symbols of the same thing. One's a picture of going back to the old ways. Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind. I'm looking straight ahead. And um, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back from where you came. And the irony here is where they looked for help is actually... um, Egypt. So uh, this first chapter 46 is a lengthy one. We're going to read the first 26 verses and then 27 and 28 actually of these nine nations only Egypt, Edom, Ammon, and Elam are given promises of restoration. And Egypt is mentioned in the book of Zechariah as one of those nations that come up and keep the Feast of Tabernacles during the millennial reign. And it says if they don't come up to worship the Lord in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, then I will give them no rain and I'll give them a plague. But they're restored, but the other ones that we're going to study tonight, there's no promise of a restoration. All right, let's dive in. Prophecies against, the first one is Egypt. This is a section all by itself that we're going to crack out most of it tonight, hopefully. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet against the nations, plural, against Egypt. Concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates and Carchemish, in which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Order the buckler and shield and draw near to battle. Harness the horses and mount up your horsemen. Stand forth with your helmets. Polish your spears. Put on the armor. 
Why have I seen them dismayed and turned back? The mighty ones are beaten down. They have speedily fled and did not look back. For fear was all around, says the Lord. Do not let the swift flee away, nor the mighty man escape. They will stumble and fall toward the north by the river Euphrates. Who is this coming up like a flood, whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood, and its waters move like the rivers. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth. I will destroy the city and the inhabitants. Come up, O horse, horses, and rage, O chariots, and let the mighty man come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans who handle the shield, and the Libyans who handle and bend the bow. For this is a day of the Lord God of hosts. It is a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword will devour. It will be satiated with and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice in the country by the river Euphrates. Go up Gilead and take him, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt. In vain you will use many medicines. They shall not be cured. The nations have heard of your shame, and your cry has filled the land, for the mighty man has stumbled against uh, the mighty. They both have fallen together. And the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah the prophet, how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, again, here it is over and over again, 164 times, would come and strike the land of Egypt. Now that's where they are. As Jeremiah is writing this, he has been forced to go to Egypt. And he's writing this from Egypt where they've fled to. Um, He says, declare it in Egypt and proclaim it in Megdal. Proclaim in Naoph and and Taphanes. Say, stand fast and prepare yourself for the sword devours all around you. Why are your valiant men swept away? They did not stand because the Lord drove them away. He made many fall. Yes, one fell upon another and they said, arise, let us go back to our own people and to the land of our nativity for the oppressing sword. They cried there, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is just a noise. He has passed by the appointed time. As I live, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, surely at Tabor is among the mountains, and as Carmel by the sea, so shall you come. Now both these places here, Tabor, Mount Tabor, and um, Mount Carmel, will actually be on in a couple months when we get get to Egypt. That's our first day. We'll go up to Mount Carmel, and we'll actually look at this valley, and one of the things that you see is Mount Tabor. Um, Then a little bit north of that, you actually are looking at the city of of Nazareth. Um, But he's really pronouncing, and I'll say this repetitively tonight, over and over again, it's going to be the same thing for each one of these nations. They're going to be taken by Nebuchadnezzar. And um, their mistake was they should have just listened, been obedient, repented, and listened to the word of God, but they, they chose not to. Now they're 
basically reaping what they sowed. He says, pick it up. Verse 19, O you daughters dwelling in Egypt, prepare yourself to go into captivity. They thought they would get away by going to Egypt to escape captivity, but now Jeremiah says, no, you're going back into captivity. And uh, for Noph shall be a waste and desolate without inhabitants. Egypt is like a very pretty heifer. I don't know if I've ever seen a pretty heifer, but evidently this was one, a pretty heifer. But destruction comes, it comes from the north, okay? A reference to Babylon. And her mercenaries are in the midst of like fat bulls, for they are all turned back. They have fled away together. They did not stand. For the day of their calamity has come upon them and the time of their punishment. Her noise shall go out like a serpent, for they shall march with, with an army and come against her with axes like those who chop wood. They shall cut down her forest, says the Lord, though it cannot be searched because they are innumerable and more numerous than grasshoppers. The daughter of Egypt shall be ashamed. She shall be delivered into the hands of the people of the north. Another way of saying Nebuchadnezzar again and Babylon. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says, Behold, I bring punishment on Ammon, Abno, and Pharaoh, and Egypt with their gods and their kings, Pharaoh, and those who trust in him. And I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their lives even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and the hand of his servants. Afterwards, it will be inhabited as in the days of old, says the Lord. Now, here you have 26 verses. Poetically, um, graphically, to the point, uh, you thought you could flee by going to Egypt. Instead, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come down and take Egypt too. And now you're just going to go back into captivity. And so the first 26 verses, it all changes with the last two. 27 and 28, I mentioned earlier, what we have in view in this section of of God's word is Gentile nations all surrounding Jerusalem. Egypt you can't quite see, it's a little bit farther to the, the left there. But here in 27 and 28, um, we have this promise of healing. In verse 27, but do not fear, O my servant Jacob, and do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar, and your offspring from the land of your captivity. Jacob shall return, and have rest, and be at ease. No one shall make him afraid. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord, for I am with you. For I will make a complete end of all the nations to which I have driven you, but I will not make a complete end of you. I will rightly correct you, for I will not leave you wholly unpunished. Israel's in the woodshed, and the Lord is is correcting them. Takes us, in my mind, to Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, if you're born again, and you're without correction, um, then you're really not, one of the ways that you can know you're truly born again is when uh, you sin, you're convicted, you know you've done wrong, 
and you need to repent and make it right. And if that's not going on in your heart, the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 says, you're not even sons at all, you're illegitimate. Which, heavenly, which earthly father doesn't correct their sons who they love? You get grounded, at least I did. <laughs> or, or in the early days, it was the fear of mom's fleece water. And she had it down to, to such a, a gift, all she had to do is look at the refrigerator because that's where the fleece water was. And believe me, she was good with it. How did I get off on that? Correction. <laughs> so here we have the promise. And these two verses, if you believe the word of God to be true, you must believe that God is not through with the nation of Israel. But you know, for most of the last 2,000 years, that's what most of the church believed. Mainline Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, hold to and believe in replacement theology and a name view of scripture. Because there was no Israel. It simply didn't exist. So their mistake, because Israel did not exist and was not a nation again until May 14th, 1948, well, there is no Israel. So that means that the promises that were given to Israel must be transferred over to the church. And um, there, was, there was a handful, like Jeremiah, who were believers in the word of God, that it is inerrant. It means exactly what it says and means exactly what it means to say. Good place for an amen. So, and um, if the Bible says that he's gonna bring back Isaiah 11, 11, Israel a second time. Well, he brought him back a first time. What's that? It's the whole book of Jeremiah. 70 years in captivity, and I'll bring you home. And he did. And you have the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and the rebuilding of the temple. And that existed until 70 AD, and the Lord foretold that in Luke chapter 19, and they've been out of the land all this time. Imagine being a Bible teacher in the year 250 AD. And um, Israel's already been out of the land since 70 AD. And go to 100 AD, the book of Revelation would have just been written by John, on the island of Patmos in 96 AD. And it's all about Israel. And um, God's promise, again, if you want to really see just how it's laid out, God's plan, Romans 9, 10, and 11. We'll give you God's outline and how he's going to work again with, with Israel. Why is that important to us? Because it's all past tense. We're almost 70 years now from 48 It'll be 70 years in two years. It's 2016 now. I personally don't believe we're going to be around. I really hope we, as much as I love the prophecy conferences and everything, um, I hope we don't have another one. (laughs) I hope everything these guys had to say at this one is spot on and it's late. You know, keep looking up. And don't think about turning back. I mean, uh, this is laboring in the word. When you go chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah, you're laboring in the word. And, but um, you have to have the reference point. It's like you, you can't read and write unless you learn your ABCs, and your ABCs are the Old Testament. Because when they quoted from the New Testament and they said, search the scriptures, what were they talking about? Well, the Old Testament, referring to Jeremiah over and over again. And yet, who teaches through the book of Jeremiah? Very, very few. 
And uh, yet, it's absolutely necessary. There's all kinds of applications uh, that we can apply. So, in chapter 46, so you want to go back to Egypt? Keith Green's famous album. And um, to what? Go back to Egypt for what? Security? And Jeremiah's saying, forget about it. Because Nebuchadnezzar's going to come down here and take you into captivity. He's also going to take care of Egypt. Chapter 47. Chapter 47 gives a prophecy of Jeremiah against the Philistine country. Now we're basically looking over here what we would today call the Gaza Strip. The Philistines um, had basically five cities and they were, were in that general area that we refer to as Gaza. This little remnant from Judah began to look uh, for one nation to another. Where would they go? On which nation might they depend? Some of these nations uh, were their enemies. Should they go for them for refuge? The answer is no, because the land of the Philistines will be conquered also by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the lifelong enemies of, of, of Israel were the Philistines. David finally got them under control when he took out Goliath, who was from Gath, Gath, Ashkelon, um, and there's three others I can't, think of the top of my head right now but uh, this seven verses here we'll read them is directed just to this area where even to this day uh, it's so interesting that the Gaza Strip we gave back to um, the, the, the Arabs and what was a um, prosperous beautiful area uh, basically they're using it for ground zero to dig tunnels into Israel from the south all the way to the north of Gaza is primarily a staging point for Hezbollah. All right, chapter 47, prophecy against the Philistine or Philistia. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Philistines before Pharaoh attacked Gaza. Thus says the Lord, behold, waters rise out of the north and shall be an overflowing flood. They shall overflow the land and all that is in it. Now, the reason I find this verse interesting is on on, uh, Sunday we'll be talking a lot about Petra. We'll be getting to Petra pretty soon. And its significance. But in Revelation 12, um, it says that the Antichrist, or the devil when he was kicked out of heaven, went to make war with the woman and her seed. And he knows he has but a short time. And it says he sends a flood. And that's the terminology that's used there. But the earth opened up the ground and swallowed the flood. Well, here's what I think is it literal. Is it an army? What do we have in view here? And we don't know. Then I find Jeremiah 47 too interesting. Because here we have an overflowing flood that will rise out of the north. Clearly a reference to Babylon. And so, um, to me here, we can make a logical connection between Revelation 12, seeing it as an army that the Antichrist will go after the remnant that's left, but be unsuccessful. And they'll be protected in this place that's called, by a couple of names you'll see tonight, again, in the background, it's called Basra. It's called... Um, 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 uh, Petra, and we'll get into that in just a bit. 
All right, verse 3, at the noise of the stamping hooves of his strong horses, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of his wheels, the fathers will not look back for their children, lacking courage, because of the day that comes to plunder all the Philistines. Uh, Jesus said the same thing when they said, Lord, what's it going to be like when you come again? And he talks about the event in Second Thessalonians 2 that we, I stopped reading the part where it says the Antichrist goes into the temple and shows himself to be God. This is called the abomination of desolation. And Matthew 24, the Lord says, when you see that happen, don't go back to the house. Run. And woe to you if you're pregnant. Hope it's not in the wintertime, hard traveling. Pray it's not on the Sabbath. Why? Because you can only go so far if you're Jewish on the Sabbath. And head for the hills. Well, Isaiah 16 tells us where they go to. Hide, let's just go back there. We'll just, I wasn't planning on doing it, but just, I might not do it on Sunday, so let's do it tonight. I'll get myself in trouble early and we won't finish all of our chapters. <laughs> Isaiah 16. It says, send, send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah, another name for Petra, to the wilderness, to the mount of the daughters of Zion, for it will be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest. So shall the daughters of Moab at the fords of the, the Arnon. Take counsel, execute judgment. Make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcast. Who are they? The ones fleeing uh, from Jerusalem to Petra. Do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter from the face of the spoiler, a reference to the Antichrist, for the extortioner is at an end, devastation ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. And here we have references to Petra, Moab, and uh, we'll be getting into that in chapter 48. All right. Um, I think we left off on four... Baldness has come from Gaza. Ashkelon, that would be one of the Philistine cities, is cut off with the remnant of their valley. How long will you cut yourself, O O you sword of the Lord? How long until you are quiet? Put yourself up into your uh, scabbard, rest, and be still. How can it be quiet, seeing that the Lord has given a charge against Ashkelon Against the seashore, that's because it's on the Mediterranean coast, the Gaza Strip, there he has appointed it. So chapter 47 is uh, seven verses that are directed at um, Philistia. Now, 48 is Moab. And if you look up on the map, you can see the kingdom of Moab. Today we would call it Jordan on the east bank of the Jordan River occupies the same land the country of Moab and the people of Moab once occupied. And yet God is not through, as we're going to see at the end of this chapter, with the people of Moab. Um, And how the Lord's going to bring them back, just as he promises here. But for the meantime, don't go to... Don't go to Moab. Um, 
Ruth, remember the book of Ruth? What was she? A Moabitess. And why did they go there? Because there was no bread in Bethlehem. So they're thinking about going to Moab for security. But here's, and this is a little bit lengthier chapter. The judgment is 46 verses long. And I'm going to, I'm not sure we'll go through all 46 of them. Um, because we'll get the point very, very easily. But the very last verse, the first 46 verses over and over again are saying the same thing. But I do want to zero in on um, at least the first 11 verses here, especially verse 11. Against Moab, <coughs> excuse me, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, woe to Nebo. Now, I've been on Mount Nebo. And Nebo is where Abraham um, looked into the promised land from Mount Nebo. That's where he died. Interesting death, by the way. In Jude, it says that Michael, the archangel, and the devil disputed over the body of Moses. It says the Lord buried him, but there was this argument. And it doesn't tell us why. (laughs) Don't you want to know? I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. What was that all about? And it's just um, an object lesson that the Lord is using for the respect that even Lucifer, Michael had towards Lucifer, and just said, instead of saying, who do you think you are? I can take you out anytime I want to, so on and so forth. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. That was it. And it's used as an illustration where there was just, let your yay be and nay be nay as far as that guy's concerned. But it's where Moses um, was not allowed to enter into the promised land. I've said it before, but as long as I brought it up, Moses couldn't bring the people into the promised land because it wrecks a picture. And the verse that goes with the picture is John 1, verse 17. It says, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Yeshia Hamashiach, as David would say. So the law can't bring in into favor with God. Oh, you can try to keep it. Anybody here keep the law? Just raise your hand if you kept the law perfectly your whole life. Not one hand goes up. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. Well, what does that mean? That means he lived a perfect life. Don't think I've come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to be the perfect lamb without blemish that can be offered as a perfect sacrifice. I'll take your sin and I'm going to give you my righteousness. Now that's good news. And, and that's the truth that Jesus said when you, when you get that, when it's not nothing about you, because we would screw it up, but it's all about Jesus, then the scripture that says then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's the only way there's freedom. Because I know if I'm in the equation, it's going to get messed up. So Moses can't do it because he messed up. How did he mess up? Well, the people were thirsty and they were complaining. So the Lord said, give them some water. Go over to that rock over there. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says that rock was Christ. And he said, strike the rock, it'll bring out water. So Moses goes over, strikes the rock, 
gusher. And people were satisfied. Okay, a couple months go by, and the people are whining and complaining again. We want water. And Moses said, Lord, I've had it up to here with these people. And he says, okay, go speak to the rock this time. Don't strike it, just speak to it. But Moses was ticked off. So he struck the rock twice. God being gracious, what did he do? Water came out. The people were satisfied. And the Lord said, Moses, need to talk. I told you to speak to the rock. I didn't tell you to strike the rock. Why? What's wrong with that? They deserved it. They were whining and complaining, and he could have had a million good excuses of why he was mad. Because it breaks the picture. If Jesus is the rock, he only needs to be smitten one time. Read Hebrews 10 over and over and over again. It said that one offering for one time for all time so that it never needs to be repeated again. And Roman Catholic Mass, and and Roger hit it out of the ballpark with, with his study, is nothing more than a continual sacrifice that can only be performed by a priest. It's an altar, and your sins that you sinned that week can only be forgiven through the Eucharist. And it's a sacrifice over and over and over again. Mount Nebo is all that... Uh, Moses could see, but Joshua, on the other hand, who, whose name is Jesus, when you, you take uh, the Lord is our salvation, he was able to bring the people into the promises of God. All right, so woe to Nebo, which is part of Moab. Nebo is actually on the very northern tip of uh, the Dead Sea, if you're looking at the map. Uh, no more praise of Moab. In Heshbon, they have devised evil against her. Come, let us cut her off as a nation. You also shall be cut down, O madman. The sword shall pursue you. A voice of crying shall be from Horanium, plunder and great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have caused, excuse me, a cry to be heard for... In the ascent of Luhith, they ascended with continual weeping. For in the descent of Horion, the enemies have heard a cry of destruction. Flee, save your lives, and be like the juniper in the wilderness. For because you have trusted in your works and in your treasure. These next verses are going to be some of the reasons that the Lord is going to bring judgment against Moab. Number one, you trusted in your works and in your treasure. And we'll get into this more on Sunday because that's what Petra was all about. It was a treasure city and it was like the Fort Knox of the Middle East. Alexander the Great couldn't even get into Petra. And um, it was so secure People kept their treasures in the city of Petra. Your works and your treasures, uh, you also will be taken. And Kamash, that was their god they worship, shall uh, go forth into captivity. His priests and his princes together, and the plunder shall come against every city. No one shall escape. The valley also will perish, and then the plain uh, shall be destroyed. 
and the Lord has spoken. Give wings to Moab that she may flee and get away, for her cities will be destroyed. And that included um, Petra. Without any to dwell in them, cursed is he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from blood. Now verse 11 is, is interesting to me. Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his dregs, and he has, he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. If you're Sulu, you would have said from vessel to vessel, but this isn't Sulu, so it's vessel to vessel. Poor Star Trek joke. <laughs> nor has he gone into captivity, therefore his taste remains in him, and his scent has not changed. What happens here? They have not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Uh, this is referring to the winemaking process. And what they would do is they would let the grape sed- sediment go to the bottom, and then they'd carefully empty it into another vessel, but they'd leave um, the dregs, that's what it was called. Um, and but you do this continually, until you got a real fine and refined uh, bottle of wine. The idea here is they never went through trials. They never had hard times. They never went through the fire. And because they were always at ease, and I, and I say that because it's important for you to know that you're going to get emptied from vessel to vessel if you're walking with the Lord. Good place for an Amen. You're going to get poured out and refined and poured out. We call it the sanctification process. Some of you are being poured from a vessel to vessel right now. They never did. They always had it at ease, especially Petra. They weren't afraid of anything in Petra because nobody could get into Petra. And I got a lot of pictures coming up um, when that occurs. So like Job like all the things that Paul went through, continually um, being put in the fire, and um, your scent has not changed. So one of the reasons for the judgment here is they had a kickback attitude. Everything's fine. I'm secure with my 401k. I'm not worried about a thing. And um, no difficult days. But now verse 12, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send him wine workers who will tip him over and empty his vessels and break the bottles. Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh. That was their God. As the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. How can you say we are mighty and strong men for the war? Moab is plundered and gone up from her cities. Her chosen young men have gone down to the slaughter, says the king whose name is the Lord of hosts. And the calamity of Moab is near at hand, and his affliction comes quickly. Bemoan him, all you who are around him, and all you who know his name. Say how the strong staff is broken, that beautiful rod. O daughters inhabiting Dibon, come down from your glory and sit in thirst. 
for the plunder of Moab has come against you. He has destroyed your strongholds. You know, we have to think a lot about America today and its apostasy, but also its um, thirst for entertainment, its, its thirst for anything except being poured from vessel to vessel and going through trials and, and then deciding I'm going to press on anyway. I don't care how hard it is and keep pressing on. Um, this had not happened to them. Uh, verse 20, Moab is shamed for he is broken down. Wail and cry, tell it in Aaron that Moab is plundered. And judgment has come in the plain of country. And I'm going to skip ahead to verse 35 for sake of time because it's very repetitive saying the same thing over and over again. So verse 35 and 36, moreover says the Lord, I will cause to cease in Moab and the one who offers sacrifice in the high places and burn incense to his gods. Therefore, my heart shall wail like the flutes for Moab and like the flutes my heart shall wail for the men of Kerharis. Therefore, the riches they have acquired have perished. For every head shall be bald and every head clipped. Out of the hand shall be cuts and on the loin sackcloth. A general lamentation on the housetop of Moab and on its streets. I have broken Moab like a vessel in which is no pleasure, says the Lord, and they shall wail. How she is broken down. How Moab has turned her back with shame. So Moab shall be a derision and a dismay at all those about her. For thus says the Lord, behold, one shall fly like an eagle and spread his wings over Moab. Keroth is taken and the stronghold are surprised. The mighty man's heart in Moab on that day shall be like a woman, a heart of a woman in birth pains. And Moab shall be destroyed as a people because... He has magnified himself against the Lord. Fear and the pit and the snare shall be upon you, O inhabitants of Moab, says the Lord. He who flees from the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who gets out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For upon Moab, upon it, I will bring the year of their punishment, says the Lord. And those who fled stood under the shadow of Heshbon because of exhaustion. But a fire shall come out of Heshbon, a flame from the midst of Sihon, and shall devour the brow of Moab, the crown of the head of the sons of Tumult. Woe to you, O Moab, the people of Kamash perish, for your sons and daughters have been taken captive, and your daughters captive. All right, these are the first 46 verses. Everybody get the point? Moab, your history. Don't think about going to Moab, because... Um, Nebuchadnezzar is going to take care of Moab too. Now the last verse. One verse, and here God will bring back the captivities of Moab. When? In the latter days, says the Lord. Thus far is the judgment of Moab. Now I want you to think this through. Um, 
here is one of the places when we go through the prophets where it's present tense, but all of a sudden in one verse, it still is yet future. This hasn't happened yet. This is for the latter days, says the Lord, when he brings them back. We flew into um, Amman in one of our trips to Israel. And um, quite frankly, they weren't very friendly to us because they knew it was just a landing place and we were on our way to, to Israel. Um, but we, we did go to Petra on that particular trip and that, that's, that's worth it for itself because basically it is, um, basically it's very much the same as it was during that period of time because it's made out of solid stone. 49 um, is judgments against Amman, Damascus, Kedar, Azer, and Elam. And um, this is a long chapter, but it, it deals with these nations. And let's begin with uh, the Ammonites. So the Ammonites, again, uh, would be north of Moab. And that contains the first six verses. Against the Ammonites, thus says the Lord, has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then does Milcom inherit Gad, and his people dwell in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will cause to be heard an alarm of war in Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall be a desolate mound, and her villages will be burned with fire And then Israel shall take possession of his inheritance, says the Lord. Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai is plundered. Cry, you inhabitants of Rabbah. Gird yourself with sackcloth. Lament. Run to and fro by the walls. For Milcom shall go into captivity with his priests and princes together. Why do you glory in the valleys, you flowing valley, O backsliding daughter, who trust in her treasures, saying, who will come against us? Behold, I will bring fear upon you, says the Lord of hosts. For all those who are around you, you shall be driven out every headlong. No one will gather those who wander off. But afterwards, again, this last verse, he's going to deal with them here. He's going to let Nebuchadnezzar have his way. But afterwards, again, I will bring you back the captives of Ammon, says the Lord. So these first six verses here are directed to um, Ammon. Um, Judah uh, needed not look to Ammon for shelter because it will be destroyed. There is no nation of Ammon in our day, but notice what God says about it. Let's go on to, to Edom in verses um, 7 through 22, I believe, is the ones with Edom. There's more space. When we talk about Edom, let me just give a little background here. There's more space given to the prophecies directed about what we're going to read right now about Edom. Probably because Edom was related to Israel. Esau and Jacob were brothers. And the two nations, Edom and Israel, 
have come from these two men. The Edomites and Israel have not been friendly down through the years. Edom had become a great nation, for God had said that he would make a great nation out of Esau. Remember, um, Jacob stole the blessing, and Esau sold it off. And um, he comes back and he begs his father for a blessing. And he says, well, I'll make you a great nation. And they did become a great nation. Not Israel. Edom was in the territory that is south and more to the east of the Dead Sea on the map. An area between the Dead Sea and the Gulf of um, Agba. Edom was in for judgment from God. They had become a great nation and had furnished advisors to other nations. And the huge city of Petra was such a secure place that it acted as a depository for the great nations. And again, I'm going to get into this in detail on Sunday. Both Babylon and Egypt carried a bank account there. There was a place where they could store their treasures and feel safe about them. I compare it to Fort Knox. The city was hewn out of solid rock on both sides, and it was only one little entrance into the rock-hewn city. It was a tremendous place in its day, but God took away all the greatness which it once enjoyed. Their greatness depended largely on the nations around them that looked to them because they felt Petra was so secure. So let's read these first up to... um, Uh, 13 here. Thus Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Taman? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Flee and turn back. Dwell in the depths, O daughters of Dedan. And I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him the time that I will punish him. If Excuse me, if grapes gather, gathers came to you, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If, if thieves by night, would they not destroy until they have enough? But I have made Esau bear. I have uncovered his secret place, and he shall not be able to hide himself. His descendants are plundered, his brethren and his neighbors, they are no more. Leave your fatherless children, I will preserve them alive, and your widows uh, trust in me, for thus says the Lord. Behold, those whose judgment was not to drink of the cup have assuredly drunk. And are you the one who will altogether go unpunished? That's a question. You shall not go unpunished, but you will surely drink of it. For I have sworn by myself, says the Lord. Now here's another name for, for um, Petra. That Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse, and all of its cities will be a perpetual waste. I have heard a message from the Lord, and an ambassador has sent to the nations. Gather together and come against her and rise up to battle. For indeed, I will make you small among nations, despised among men. Your fierceness has deceived you, the pride of your heart. O you who dwell in the cliffs of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, 
Though you make your nest as high as the eagle, I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. Now this is a reference to Basra, or Petra. You who make your houses in the clefts of the rock. And um, it's an incredible place with uh, uh, the ability to hold thousands of people securely. Their treasure house is there. And these scriptures here are a reference to Petra. Edom also shall be an astonishment. Everyone who goes by it will be astonished and will hiss at its plagues as in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, says the Lord. No one shall abide there, nor shall a son of man dwell in it. It's true to this day. We take tours there. We tour it. We walk it. But nobody lives there. And the city is just as much intact, including the amphitheater, as it was during the time when this judgment being pronounced by Jeremiah was being given. You can go there and it doesn't look any different. Yeah, there's some wear and tear over time, but every apartment, if you want to call it their condo, you can actually walk into it and see the, how the people live. There's a, there was a place of worship that still exists to this day because it's all carved into the rock. And again, I promised a lot of pictures on Sunday. Um, but no man will dwell in it. No man dwells in it today. It's a place for tourism. Behold, he will come up like a lion from the flooding of the Jordan against the inhabitants of the strong. But I will suddenly make him run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? Or who is like me? Who will arraign me? And who will? And who is it? that shepherd who will withstand me. Therefore, hear the counsel of the Lord that has taken against Edom and his purpose that he has purposed against the inhabitants of Taman. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he will make their habitation desolate with them. The earth shakes at the noise of their fall. At the city its noise is heard at the Red Sea. Behold, he shall come up and fly like the eagle and spread his wings over Basra. The heart of the mighty men of Edom in that day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pains. So these verses here, uh, not only against Ammon, but now Edom. The prophecy against Damascus, um, verses 23 through 27 Um, Hamath and Arpad are shamed for they have heard bad news they are faint hearted there is trouble on the sea it cannot be quiet Damascus has grown feeble and turns to flee and fear has seized her anguish and sorrow have taken her like a woman in labor why is the city of praise not deserted the city of my joy therefore her young men shall fall in her streets And all the men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord of hosts. I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall consume the palace of Ben-Hadad. Now, before I finish this chapter out here, I want to get a little sidetracked as we begin to close up on a prophecy that I think could happen tomorrow, and I mean that quite literally. You need to turn to Isaiah 
chapter 17. And we can't talk about the judgment on Damascus without reading these verses. Here's its claim to fame. Anybody here from Seymour? What's the claim to fame for Seymour? Who knows? Hamburgers. Ask Wimpy, he'll tell you. No, it's a claim to fame. We are the first ones to have hamburgers in America. Well, the claim for fame for Damascus, it is the oldest continually inhabited city in history. It goes back and forth between Jericho and Damascus. But Damascus has always continually uh, come back and maintained an inhabitants. But this prophecy here says... And Isaiah 17, the burden against Damascus. This is front page news that we're reading today that you could read in your paper tomorrow, literally. Matter of fact, if you want to take it a step farther, if you go home and just type in, Google in, um, drones over Damascus, and they will actually take you on a trip on what it looks like even right now. And it's being propped up. Assad is their president. He's being propped up, um, not only by Russia, but by Iran. Interesting bedfellows in light of Ezekiel 38 and the times that we're living. So, you know, all those weapons of mass destruction that never existed in Iraq, well, they existed. They just ended up in Damascus, that's all. You know that this is the headquarters for terrorism in the world today? And um, you don't think the Lord's going to judge it? All they have to do is have Hezbollah out of Lebanon just lob one little gas rocket over the Golan Heights. And if it's launched out of Syria, bye-bye Damascus, that quick. And it doesn't even have to be Israel that does it. Um, Let's read it. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city. It will be a ruinous heap. And um, this has never happened, where it will never be inhabited again. The cities of Aaron are forsaken, which is a suburb of Damascus. They will be for flocks, which lie down, and no one will make them afraid. And so we have this prophecy at Isaiah 17 It's interesting to me because it's right after and ties into last day's prophecy of Isaiah 16, all about Petra. And again, we'll we'll go there and tie this in with Isaiah 63 on Sunday, where it says, who is this who comes riding from Moab and Petra? I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, let's finish this up. Let's go back and finish up. I left off with... Verse, the destruction of Damascus. The prophecies against uh, uh, Kedar and Hazor, against the king of Hazor, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, will strike. Now again, these countries have one thing in common. Israel's thinking about looking for security. Jeremiah is saying these nine nations are going to be taken out by Nebuchadnezzar. So don't think you can put your trust in them. It says, thus says the Lord, arise and go to Kedar and devastate the men of the east. The tents and their flocks, they shall be taken away. They shall take for themselves their curtains, all their vessels 
and their camels, and they will cry out for them, fears on every side. Flee, get far away, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hazor, says the Lord for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has taken counsel against you. He has conceived a plan against you. Arise, go to the wealthy nation that dwells securely, says the Lord, which was, has neither gates nor bars, dwelling alone. Their camels shall be for a booty, and a multitude of the camel for plunder. I will scatter to all winds those in the farthest corners, for I will bring their calamity from its side, says the Lord. Hazor shall be dwelling for jackals, a desolation forever. No one shall reside there, nor son of man dwell in it. The prophecy against Elam. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, the prophet against Elam, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Now, Zedekiah was the one king that reigned when Jerusalem fell for the third and final time. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow, the bow of Elam, the foremost of their might. Against Elam, I will bring the four winds from the four corners of the heavens and scatter them towards all those winds. There shall be no nations where the outcasts of Elam's will not go. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies, and before those who seek their life, I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, says the Lord, and I will send the sword against them until I have consumed them. I will set my throne in Elam, and will destroy from there the king and the princess, says the Lord. But it shall come to pass again. Now this is um, the final time First, I want to go back and get my notes on the the nine nations. Only Egypt, Edom, Ammon, and here this last one is Elam. Again, this verse. But it will come to pass in the latter days that it will bring back the captivities of Elam, says the Lord. All right, what can we take home with us tonight as we look at a a history lesson? Something that um, proves the Bible is the word of God. Jeremiah is a true prophet. Good place for an amen. All right, but here's where we take stock in stressing the importance of a prophecy conference, stressing the importance of Isaiah 16, 17 not being fulfilled. And one of the things we brought up during the the conference is we went to the book of Hebrews. And it says, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, It says, as the manner of some are. Some Christians feel they don't need any fellowship, any spiritual covering in the Lord. But Paul says, don't forsake it. And matter of fact, do it more and more as you see the day approaching. Now, I quote that a lot with this question. Is there, as we look out on the scene, do we see the day approaching? And we have to say yes, but not everybody does. Not unless you labor through the word like this. You read Isaiah 16, you read Isaiah 17, and you realize this could actually literally happen tomorrow. And when it does, it could trigger, Jesus said when these things begin to happen, it's gonna be like a woman in birth pains who has contractions. And the closer it gets to the birth, what happens? They're more severe 
and they're closer together. Now, what we've seen just in the last couple of years as far as Bible prophecy is concerned, it's exponential because we're watching it happen ever so quickly and you're wondering what's gonna be the event to have that other shoe fall and all of a sudden we're taken out of here. And that's why I believe that when it says no man knows the day or the hour of the coming of the Lord, I believe it's going to be a judgment call. I believe our Lord is willing that he doesn't want one person to perish. And I think he's just watching. He's going to think I'll take him out, I'll take as many as I can, and I'll wait as long as I possibly can. But then one day the Lord said he's going to pull the trigger and uh, we're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and that will usher in what Second Thessalonians calls the day of the Lord. I think, I think Hawking made it pretty clear that we're out of here <laughs> before the day of the Lord. He says there's one book that fell, sold out the quickest is, is, uh, was on the rapture and um, the blessed hope that we have. So are we living in apostasy in these days? Oh, absolutely. Have people wandered away from the word of God? Absolutely. Are they totally naive to what's going on prophetically? Mostly. But you know that's exactly what the Bible said. And that's why Paul had to write 2 Thessalonians. They were, they said, don't teach Bible prophecy. It's, it's too complicated. It's too hard. Do you know that Paul was in Thessalonica for three weeks? And he says, hey, guys, you're three weeks old in the Lord. I've already told you about this stuff. Now I've got to rewrite, i got to write another letter to you and explain it to you all over again? Don't ever think that um, young Christians couldn't grasp the book of Revelation. If it's taught simply and literally, they'll eat it up and they'll want more. And they said, really? I mean, I was blown away. I was a Christian for two years when I read The Late Great Planet Earth. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I read the book of Revelation. I did not understand a word it said, but I believed every word of it. And little by little, as um, I grew in the Lord, we've seen all these things happening and, and come together. So what should we do? Exhort one another, like it says in Hebrews, and do it all the more. And don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, as the manner of some is. We all know people here that are out of fellowship, and um, they're not being exhorted, and they're actually thinking about going back to Egypt, of all places. Yeah, I'm past my time. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through these judgments on the nations from Jeremiah, help us be like Jeremiah, Lord. Uh, help us not. Help us be true to you, and let you be true, and every man a liar. We know that um, some will frown upon it and call us doomsday prophets or whatever. Jeremiah was a broken-hearted prophet with a broken-hearted message, but it was your word and you told him to do it. And so he's commended and held up and honored by you. So Lord, as we make our way, we see the, the parallels between these nations and our own nation today. We see the apostasy, we see the falling away. But Lord, help us remember Lot's wife and Never ever think about going back to Egypt, to the old life, to the old ways. And uh, Lord, help us thank you when we're being poured 
from vessel to vessel. And you're refining us and purifying us. Help us see it as just that. And help us uh, understand that trials are for our spiritual growth and maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.